Thanks for joining us for Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host today, Jim Minter, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, who's a professor of ag economics and also the associate director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And Michael, we're going to talk a little bit today about thinking like a CFO, a chief financial officer, for your farm operation. And let's just start off by talking about the role of a chief financial officer. And maybe some folks are wondering, what's the difference between a CFO and an accountant? Because they are not the same thing. They are definitely not the same thing. And an accountant, just like you, you might expect, they're very transaction-oriented. So they want to make sure that all your cash transactions, income and expenses, are entered into your record-keeping system, whether that be QuickBooks or something uh, something like that. Also, accountants prepare reports, usually on historical information. Uh, they rarely look at reports looking at that are forecasting. Uh, and so that's, that's also very common for accountants. And also, they may maintain the general ledger, meaning that they make sure the records are complete uh, and accurate. And so accountants, one of the things that's very important to keep in mind, accountants are always, uh, always look backward. Uh, it always happened and, and really do not think about uh, what might be happening in the next year or two. Yeah, I think from a farm standpoint, most people think of an accountant as in terms of preparing a tax return, which clearly is looking backwards, right, with respect to what took place during a particular tax year and doing it in a way that's accurate, right, that truly reflects what took place, but they're not involved in making projections. Now, you can use the information they generate to help make projections, but that's not their goal and not their role. Yeah, that's definitely the case. If you were thinking about making whole farm projections or enterprise projections, using your, your latest historical cash information is always a good place to start. Uh, and so let's let's contrast this with what we're, ca- we're calling the chief financial officer. And this is usually someone in the business. Now, obviously, if you're the sole proprietor, you have a lot of different hats. But if, the, if, the, if you have a business that has, let's say we have four brothers farming together or four brothers and sisters farming together, there's probably one individual uh, that's responsible for keeping the records and analyzing those records and then sharing them uh, with the rest of the the family members. And so uh, that person's the chief financial officer, and they're analyzing the results. So they're taking that that cash information, they're taking balance sheet information, and they're trying to use that uh, to come up with financial ratios or financial metrics. How is our business doing? And how can we we improve uh, what we're doing using these records? And so uh, part of that is budgets and forecasts. Uh, you're looking at a corn budget for, for 23, for example, uh, and, and but also a cash flow forecast. You know, what is what is uh, uh, what does the fall of 23 look like uh, for different corn and soybean prices? That would be an example of something that a chief financial officer would do. Uh, of course, they could also design reports, but that's not the main thing they're doing. Yes, they can develop the uh, an income statement and a balance sheet, but but the main thing they're doing is really taking those records and and, and figuring out what those records are saying uh, to us, and then using that also uh, for budgets and forecasts. And so the, the CF- CFOs are many times looking forward rather than backward. We use bu- we use historical information uh, to make these projections and decide where we want to go, what changes do we want to make. Yeah, so the CFO's role is really about, about interpreting those results from the past 
and using that to make some assessment of what's likely to happen uh, if the farm continues in, in its current role and its current operations, and also start thinking about, well, what would happen if we made some changes, right? As usual, you just stated that more succinctly. <laughs> I went more around the barn. Uh, but and, and so let's think about strategic direction a little bit more. Think about financial statements, financial records as a roadmap for where we want to go in the future. And so we need to ask questions. We need to formulate questions related to that. First of all, is our farm profitable? Uh, one of the things you absolutely cannot do uh, is, is, is think about a strate strategic position if you don't even know what your current profitability is. If your current profitability is relatively low, you probably should correct that problem before you think make, start making expansion decisions or things like that or change product mix. Uh, and so we really need to see how, how, how profitable our farm is using this, use some of these historical numbers. And then we can use that uh, to, to determine whether we have a competitive advantage. I always say the proof is in the pudding. If you think you have a competitive advantage, we'll talk more about uh, competitive advantage later in, in this podcast, but if you think you have a competitive advantage, you better have above average profitability or you don't have a competitive advantage. And so those go hand in hand. Also, it's important to think about profitability and competitive advantage if we think about resources. What resources do, do we need to expand? And think about resources very broadly, farmland, machinery, grain bins, buildings, human capital. Uh, you know, uh, do we have enough people in the business uh, to, to be successful if, 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 we're, if we want to grow this business? Do we need to hire uh, someone? Do we need to bring in another family member uh, to make this business successful? So, you know, Michael, you're thinking about competitive advantage. And one of the things that occurred to me while you were saying that was, that's really where things like benchmarking come into play, right? If you're doing some benchmarking, you can start identifying your competitive advantage. One way, obviously, is what you mentioned, which is above average profitability. But then the next thing is to think about, as you start to drill down a little bit, compare your farm operation to other farm operations using various farm record keeping systems with the several that we typically reference here at Purdue, right? Yeah, and usually when I talk about benchmarking, I start with the whole farm. And so what is my profit margin compared to uh, uh, average profit margin? And there's data available from uh, University of Minnesota FinBin and other data, uh, data sources like the Farm Business Farm Management Association in Illinois uh, where we can come up with some benchmarks. But this also leads to benchmarks for crops. Uh, if, if Let's say our, our whole farm profitability is, is not as good as we think it needs to be uh, and we want to improve. Then you start drilling down and say, what's holding me back? Is it my corn? Is it my soybeans? Is it is it a swine enterprise? What's holding what's holding my profitability back? And start analyzing those individual uh, products or individual enterprises. And Michael, you know, one of the things that I think leads a lot of farms to start questioning their strategic direction is the point you, you brought up about, is this farm large enough and profitable enough to bring another family member back into the operation? That... That's when it really kind of uh, comes home for, to roost for a lot of people with respect to, we've got a family member who would like to come home and join this operation. Our challenge is, is it large enough and profitable enough to make that really possible, right? Yeah, and it makes a huge difference. I mean, if if the farm is, is not very profitable, uh, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna need you're gonna need to do something different than if the farm is quite profitable. I, you know, that's, that's, that's an obvious point. It's not just size you're looking at when you're thinking about bringing something back. It's size and margin. Uh, and and, and I, ideally, uh, you've, you're you're big enough to bring somebody back, so there's enough acres, enough production there to bring somebody 
you back. But that's only part of the picture. It's also, what is that profit margin? Is my, if my profit margin is really low, you're going to need a lot more acres uh, in order to bring somebody back uh, it, it, compared to a case where your profit margin is pretty good uh, and you don't need as many acres because you've got a good profit margin. So. so, Michael, let's think a little bit about some of the formal duties that, of a CFO and think about how that applies in a farm setting. Because normally when you think about the term CFO, you're thinking about a larger business, right? A, a corporate structure, et cetera. And what we're talking about now is, is taking that CFO concept and applying it at the farm level. So the first thing people talk about is something called control duties. Let's think about what that means on a farm. These are the fun things, at least I think they're fun things. Keeping ac accurate records, both whole farm and enterprise, making sure that we have uh, accurate cash records, and then we also have cash records associated with individual enterprises. So we, we know what our corn seed, uh, corn seed costs versus our soybean seed, and the same with fertilizer repairs and, and all these different costs. Also, part of the control function is to prepare the accurate financial statements, making sure our balance sheet is up to date uh, and, and, and accurate. Uh, Farm, you know, for example, farmland values. Make sure that we've got reasonable farmland values uh, in that balance sheet. Another thing that's extremely important, if you have crops, for example, that you have good inventory numbers, that we know we know uh, to a, a very accurate degree how much corn we have in storage, how much soybean we have in storage. That makes the balance sheet more accurate. If you have more, if you have livestock, you've got accurate accounts on the number of livestock that, that are on the farm. That just improves the, uh, the quality of the balance sheet. And without, without good cash records, without a good balance sheet, it's very difficult uh, to measure um, to measure financial performance. And so that, that's all part of the control duties. Uh, moving on to the treasury duties, this is just as important. Uh, let's say we're making good money on the farm. Uh, our net farm income is strong. And, and once, we, uh, once we take money out for the, for the, for the operators, uh, owner withdrawals, uh, we, we call the difference between net farm income and, and owner withdrawals retained earnings. We've got str strong retained earnings. Earnings. Uh, the, the CFO, along with other members in the business, thinks about what should we use those retained earnings for? Should we save some of that money uh, in, in retirement accounts? Should we invest in farmland? That's that's a those are huge decisions. But also, uh, should we use some of that money to buy farm machinery? Um, you maybe maybe there's some new precision agriculture technology that would really help us on our farm. Uh, let, maybe we could buy some machinery that has that technology, uh, you know, so we can move forward and improve our efficiency. Also buildings, grain bins, and so all these, uh, there's a lot of different things uh, to, to invest retained earnings in if you have those retained earnings. And how you make that decision is going to be very important uh, to how that farm's going to grow uh, how that and how, that for, how, how uh, sustainable uh, that farm is going to be. Yeah, and so one of the things I wanted to maybe dwell on just a little bit here is this retirement savings uh, option. Uh, and that's a tough one for a lot of folks. And we think of it, you know, we kind of put really two broad categories there. One, farmland, investing those retained earnings in farmland as something that would serve as a retirement vehicle later on, right, uh, versus some off-farm investments. And that's a challenging choice for a lot of folks, right? So part of that ties back to 
is this farm going to continue beyond the current generation? And that's going to influence that decision about whether you should be investing in farmland versus off-farm investments, right? Definitely. That's def definitely the case. If you, if you, if you, if you've got some uh, people uh, identified, uh, family, fa young family members identified that might come back to the farm uh, at some point down the road, it makes a lot of sense to invest quite a bit of that retained earnings in farmland. If, it, if you're, if you're a sole proprietor and, and you, and it looks like you don't have any, but coming back to the farm, then I think hey, there's nothing wrong with investing in farmland, but you also should uh, think about off-farm investments, savings, uh, 401k type, type, uh, you know, uh, type assets, mutual funds. So one of the things that's really different about a CFO role versus an accounting role is the importance of forecasting, right? A CFO is really going to be the individual on a farm operation uh, who is going to be responsible for at least initially generating some forecast of what the business is likely to do uh, based partly on, on what we've currently been doing, right? No change in current operations. And then also starting to think about, well, what would happen if we made some changes, maybe some alternatives uh, some alternative scenarios, which is something I know you like to look at a lot. And, and both of us have seen this this actually happen on, on on actual farms. We've seen where there's somebody that does a good job of keeping those records, and then they share that information with the with the entire uh, board, uh, if you will, or, or, or family members, operators, uh, and the and the, and together they think about okay, what what, what should we do next? Uh, do we need to tile this piece over here? Do we uh, if we have an opportunity to rent an additional 160 acres? Are we in good position uh, to to rent that additional 160 acres we it looks like there's going to be 130 acres down the road that's going to be for sale in the next year or two are we in position in order to buy that ground and so that's the power of having good financial records is you can uh, you can make better decisions regarding uh, the, those major changes in the operation if you have good uh, good financial records and one of the things I think we want to differentiate a little bit here is the role of a chief financial officer versus a chief executive officer. The chief financial officer is in charge of making the forecast based on the data that's available, not necessarily just making the decisions, right? And I think uh, some, in some farms it might be the same person. The CFO is also the CEO. But in many cases, as you mentioned, it could be other family members. Uh, sometimes it could be some key senior employees. Uh, that might be serving in that role. So it's not f a function of the CFO automatically making the decisions. It's gathering the information and generating forecast and saying, if we do this, this is what's likely to happen. If we make this change, this is what's likely to happen. And and a lot of farms have rules of thumb that if it's if it's a relatively small purchase, anybody in the business can go ahead and pursue uh, buying buying that 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 input or, or that asset. Uh, but typically, if it comes to something bigger, a tractor, uh, you, know, you know, buying land, something like that, that's kind of a joint decision. So the the CFO CEO might be a group of people. Uh, it might be like again, go back to let's say. There's four brothers farming together. It might be the four brothers talking to one another and say, uh, "The CFO is sharing. This is the what the financial uh, uh, metrics look like look like right now. Uh, using that information, should we go ahead and and, and buy uh, that land that might be coming up for sale a mile or two from us?" So let's talk about the five key financial performance areas that a CFO needs to kind of focus on. And the first one is going to be what we call risk and financial documentation. And the first thing that pops up to mind to me when I hear the word risk 
is thinking about things like insurance coverage and risk management in general, right? Yeah, usually this would be at least crop insurance. Now, risk management, it may or may not include marketing. In fact, on the larger farms, it probably doesn't. Uh, there probably is another person that's in charge of the marketing. Uh, but again, they're, they're, they're working together. They're using their financial information to help us with the marketing uh, decisions. And so that's kind of the role of the CFO is to work with that person that's doing the marketing. But it is some of the, the accounting systems, making sure they're in place, uh, that we have good cash records, that we have a, a, a solid balance sheet. I keep talking about those things. That's what you really need if you're going to measure profitability is, is good cash records and a good balance sheet. So that, that's also part of it. Using that information to, to come up with some financial ratios like the profit margin, comparing that to other farms to see where we stand, but also the planning part. Uh, you know, what should we do this year? Should we grow 50% corn, 50% soybeans, or should we, should, should we maybe we should grow a little more soybeans than corn this year? Making those kind of decisions with our records. So when you say accounting systems, let's back up for just a little bit and think about what that means. For a lot of people, that's going to be some software, right? Uh, QuickBooks is a pretty commonly used one, but it's not the only one, but you've got to pick one. And for example, if you're going to use QuickBooks, what are some of the decisions that CFO needs to make with respect to making sure they've got a good accounting package that they can use to present results? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of a software uh, like QuickBooks is going to be really good for the cash records. And I'll talk about what you need to do uh, with, with the QuickBooks to make sure those cash records are, are, are providing the information you need. So you're going to have to have another a spreadsheet or something else that's going to, going to help you with the balance sheet. And so a lot of people will use... Uh, a software like QuickBooks for the cash records, and then they'll have the balance sheet maybe on Excel, uh, you know, and keep that information in a separate place. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, as long as they're both accurate, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to have an accounting system that does everything. Uh, that, that's, that's not a must. That, that's okay if you have that, uh, but, but uh, you can get a long ways by having a, a good cash record keeping system, uh, software, and then keeping the, the inventory uh, information in a separate place like like a spreadsheet. Now, when it comes to the cash records, one of the things you really have to think about is what I call the chart of accounts. And you want to at least have the chart of accounts that matches uh, the, uh, the Schedule F. And so you need to make sure that seed is clearly identified separately from the other expenses, fertilizer, and just go down the different expenses on a Schedule F and make sure you at least have those categories in your chart of accounts. Now, once you've got that, uh, then you can start maybe having a more sophisticated chart of accounts so rather than just saying seed, uh, you're actually identifying corn seed versus soybean seed. Uh, but I always got to say you got to walk before you run. And so I always think about whole farm records first, make sure that system is, is in place and, and, and accurate, then add to that uh, the enterprise records. Yeah, good point. So the other thing is to think about some financial planning, right? And so capital budgeting is going to be a big part of what a CFO does. Tell us what you mean by that. Capital budgeting, really what capital budgeting, it's a fancy word for just looking at uh, benefits versus cost. So if we're going to buy machinery, what are the benefits associated with buying that machinery? Can we quantify those benefits? And when do those benefits come? Are the benefits immediate or are those benefits spread over 10 years? That's all part of uh, the capital budgeting using time value of money. And all that means is realizing that if the benefits are, are, are down the road, uh, down in seven, eight, nine years from now, 
we need to discount those because those those benefits are not uh, in today's dollars. And so uh, that's really what capital budgeting is, is doing for us. It's taking into account the timing of benefits and costs, but also it's, it's just a sophisticated way uh, to analyze the benefit and costs of buying anything like grain bins, farmland, uh, machinery, buildings, any asset we might be thinking about uh, that we're uh, thinking about purchasing on the farm. So one of the things that I think of when you think about capital budgeting in the current environment with respect to machinery is the changing technology and how much benefit you might gain from that new technology and that new implement or that new uh, tractor, that new combine, et cetera. And that's a little bit of a challenge in terms of assessing what kind of a productivity change you might get. But I think it's important to think about that, right, when you think about those. Usually when you think about technology, there's two things you have to quantify, at least two things you need to quantify. First of all, is there any production benefit? And there usually is. So is there a yield benefit? And try to try to, uh, uh, try to to measure that, to quantify that, maybe using some different yield numbers, just some sensitivity analysis. And then what, what the part that's probably a little easier sometimes is the cost savings. You know, how much money are we saving uh, by investing in, in the cost? You say, well, this is an expensive equipment. What do you mean by cost saving? Well, you're probably saving some labor. Uh, any technology, uh, technology you buy is probably going to be bigger, and so you can cover more acres with the same person. Uh, and, and so there's always some kind of cost savings that you also need to quantify in addition to the production. So I encourage people to try to quantify both of those. And and if you're a little uncertain on either one of those or both of those, use sensitivity analysis. Use what if? How much production benefit do I need in order? to make this uh, machinery attractive? How much cost savings do I need uh, to make this asset uh, asset uh, beneficial uh, to my farm? But, you know, if you think about uh, some of the new technology with respect to precision agriculture, there's been lots of things that would benefit there, right? People talk about uh, the opportunity to reduce, for example, herbicide usage because yeah. of minimizing overlap. Same thing with seed, with planters, et cetera. So there's been lots of opportunities. The challenge is to think about it in a way that is realistic. Make sure your projections are, are realistic when you're, you're plugging those in. And then the last thing to think about with respect to financial planning, Michael, is managing working capital. And this is something we talk about a lot uh, here at the Center for Commercial Agriculture with the idea that people need to be monitoring their working capital and thinking about how they're going to manage that because that working capital is really what provides a farm's resilience. Yeah, and this is where this is where this can be get very very complicated. I'll start with something that's relatively relatively simple or straightforward. Is when we think about the relationship between current assets and current liabilities. Current assets are things like crop inventories for crop farm. That would be a big current asset. Also cash. If there's a, if we have quite a bit of cash in the business, that would be also be a very important current asset. Current liabilities or any operating debt uh, we might we we might owe, but also the current portion of term debt. So how much term debt on our land, machinery, buildings is due within the next year. That's current liabilities. And a rule of thumb that we use for any business, including farms, is two to one. We'd like to have twice as much current assets as current liabilities. Why? Well, what happens if corn price is $5 next year instead of $6? Well, if it's $5, we're probably going to need that cushion uh, to make sure we can repay debt, uh, you know, pay the operators and, and everything else that we need to do uh, with that net farm income. And so that's why we want we want uh, two to one in terms of current assets and current liabilities. And th this is where it get, now it gets complicated is uh, some people are comfortable with fairly tight liquidity 
just two to one, that's fine. Some people want a little more cushion than that, and and and, and sometimes people want a little more cushion than that, particularly uh, with cash, because if you have very strong liquidity, it increases your ability to respond quickly uh, to a, to an asset that may be coming up for sale. And you know where I'm going with this: farmland. If I have if I have what I call deep pocket strong liquidity, I, I'm much I'm in a much better position to make a good down payment on some farmland uh, and, and make it happen. Whereas if I have tight liquidity, that might be difficult uh, coming up with a down payment that's big enough in order to buy that farmland. And so and so there there and one of the things I always tell tell my students is there's not a strong relationship between liquidity and profitability, but liquidity does open up some opportunities uh, that it's hard to put monetary dollars on, such as this flexibility. And so and so uh, let's let's think a little broader here. Uh, sometimes out, sometimes investors that are looking at companies. Now we're going outside of agriculture a little bit, but I want to do it for analogy purposes. Sometimes investors are looking for companies that have strong cash. Why? They'll give a premium for a company that has strong liquidity position because that company has has flexibility to make asset purchases and, and do it very quickly. It's kind of the Warren Buffett model. I have deep pockets, and if something comes up for sale that looks like a bargain, I can move and buy uh, buy that asset. The same is true with, with, with farms. So you kind of presented that from the positive side, the opportunity side. The flip side of that is it provides resilience, right, yeah. against stress. Yeah. So if we have a downturn, that working strong working capital position enables you to weather the downturn. Yes. And, of course, we've seen periods in the past when people that didn't have a strong working capital position found themselves in financial difficulty very quickly yes. uh, with a financial downturn. So the way of managing uh, your, your ability to re respond and, and res be resilient with respect to stress, right? Yes. So let's talk about capital structure and debt service. And that's really got several layers to it, Michael. One of them is thinking about just your cost of capital, which is obviously interest rates, which has been a, a topic of great concern here lately, but also with respect to your equity component, right? This is a this is a topic that can again can you uh, you can you can write a textbook on on the on, on these things but I'm going to try to keep this relatively straightforward. When you're borrowing money, your objective and this is a part of what capital budgeting does for you. It answers this question, uh, at least from a pro forma standpoint. It doesn't always you know when you look back, it always doesn't look like a good decision. But at least moving you know moving into the buying an asset, it, it, it looks good. When you borrow money, you always want the rate of return on those borrowed funds to be higher than the interest rate. Uh, and so that's something you're always looking for uh, when, when, you're, when you're buying assets. That's why capital budgeting is so useful, because it almost forces you to think that way. You're not going to move forward uh, with, with an asset purchase unless it looks like you're, you're, the, the money you're going to earn uh, by investing in that asset exceeds your interest costs. And so that's a, a fairly simple concept, but it can be fairly difficult uh, to pull off, because we know there's uncertainty. And, and sometimes when you look, in hindsight, you say, well, that didn't that that didn't pay, uh, but but the, the main thing is when you're moving forward uh, that 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 uh, it looks like these new investments are, are paying for themselves with some extra money, and so that's an important concept. And then then this also covers things like liquidity and leverage. Uh, you're thinking about you know what 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 liquidity uh, position am I comfortable with? How much liquidity do I need for the reasons that we that we just got done talking about? It also fits into leverage, your debt to asset ratio, and I always say the debt to 
asset ratio is very personal or specific to the business. Some people are very comfortable uh, with a debt to asset ratio that's 40%, meaning that uh, meaning that the, the lender basically owns 40% of my assets, I own 60%. Others uh, we would like to see that leverage down at 20%. Uh, you know, I uh, that, that the lender only uh, only is, is borrowing on 20% of the assets and I own the other 80%. And so it's very personal. A risk averse, a risk averse person likes low debt to asset ratio. Uh, somebody that's not quite so risk averse uh, likes the higher debt to asset ratio. Well, we got to remember what we're giving up uh, when we have a low debt to asset ratio. You're probably not taking advantage of as many opportunities if you're too conservative uh, in terms of borrowing money. But what do you? there's also a positive spin to that. If I don't borrow as much money, and this is why some people don't like to borrow, uh, borrow uh, as much money as others, I, I have less chance of, 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 uh, of, uh, of losing the asset that I'm purchasing. You know, in an extreme case, uh, if you're borrowing a lot of money to buy an asset and it doesn't, it doesn't work out, uh, that, that decision doesn't work out, you might have to sell that asset. So obviously, if you have a higher debt-to-asset ratio, uh, you're, 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 more, uh, you're more likely to, to, to face a situation uh, where you're going to have a shortfall of cash. And so, and so leverage is really a double-edged sword. It can increase profitability, but it can increase risk. And so uh, businesses have to really analyze what they're comfortable with uh, in, terms of a, in terms of a leverage or a debt-to-asset position. And, and there is no one answer or benchmark that really helps us with that. Uh, the other thing I talk a lot about in, in, in extension presentations and also uh, my finance class is the whole idea of repayment capacity. This is something a lender always look, looks at, but I think it's important for farms to look at that. And so is my net farm income strong enough to cover uh, the amount of money I want to pull out for family living, to pay term debt, and to replace assets? And so you're, you're, you're trying to figure out uh, whether that net farm income is, is big enough uh, to do that. And, and some fairly simple calculations, if you have good records, can really answer that question, can really help answer those questions. Yeah, and, and getting back to your concept, or discussion of uh, leverage, Michael. You know, one of the things we've observed is over time some farms that were pretty conservative with respect to their use of leverage, but the downside of that was they weren't able to grow rapidly enough to really sustain themselves over a long period of time, particularly when it came to bringing back a new family member. And that's particularly true. Yeah, the 20% debt to asset may not constrain you from bringing somebody back. But if you have a goal, which is which is rather extreme, and we don't see that uh, very often uh, with, with commercial farms or, or full-time farms, if you have a goal of having really low debt to asset, i.e. zero, you're not going to grow very fast. You just can't. Right. You don't generate enough retained earnings you to, don't to generate expand. Enough retained earnings to buy farmland to replace machinery, and so and so a lot of times you need at least some debt, and so and so that's why I always say when you borrow money, uh, just make just try to try to figure out whether that's the right decision. There's enough benefits associated with borrowing money to buy that asset that's going to pay to help pay for that asset. So the last point here, Michael, is one that we've kind of stayed away from a little bit, but I think sometimes when you start thinking about leverage and uh, capital budgeting, people 
focus maybe a little too quickly on tax considerations, but that is an important component. It certainly is, but when we think about making uh, decisions uh, related to taxes, we always have to think about uh, if, we, if we're buying a machine uh, with accelerated depreciation, are the benefits of buying that machine outweighing the cost? And, and part of the benefit is tax considerations, but that machine also better be increasing efficiency, uh, having some cost savings, or you need maybe that's not the best decision uh, to use accelerated depreciation to buy that machine. So they, they work they work hand in hand. Uh, taxes is important, but so is uh, so is uh, looking at capital budgeting, the benefits of the cost associated with buying an asset. So make sure uh, make sure you're do, you're doing both of those. So let's talk a little bit about profitability. And there's some key metrics that people like to use, and we recommend using to assess a farm's profitability. And you might just itemize those. And we're not going to cover these in a lot of detail here today, but keep in mind that we'll do that in some future podcasts. And we also have information on the Center for Commercial Agriculture website uh, related to uh, related to calculating all of these ratios along with an example uh, case farm uh, where we can calculate all those ratios. And so I encourage people to look at that. But the most important one in my mind is profit margin. How much money are we making on our sales? Is that 5%? Is that 10%? Is that 15%? Uh, and and that's, that's the first metric you want to look at. Uh, if you want to look at a second one, uh, the one that I like to look at next is, is something called the asset turnover ratio. And what that's really doing, uh, first of all, it's, it's, it's really it's fairly simple to calculate. Uh, it's gross revenue, or kind of my gross sales, if you will, adjusted for inventories, uh, related to, to the asset base. And if, if, that, if you're doing a good job of, of utilizing your assets, that asset turnover ratio is going to be higher uh, rather than lower. Uh, and so those are the two I start with. Once you have those two ratios, uh, you, you, can, you can calculate some other ratios like return on assets, return on equity, uh, you know, fairly simply. So... You know, one of the challenges I know a lot of our listeners probably haven't been computing those ratios. And, but our, one of our challenges, I think, is, you know, when you do financial analysis, you really want to try and assess whether or not you can improve profitability, right? Yeah, and, and it, actually measuring the profitability is simpler is simpler than trying to do something to <laughs> to improve the profitability. But you got to start someplace, and you know a lot of times you don't even know where the bottlenecks might be in your operation until you calculate a profit margin. Start looking at, at, at enterprise, uh, you know, enterprise profitability, and, and it's, it's just the first step uh, in trying to analyze how to make improvements. Yeah, I mean, I think you know one of the points to remember is if you don't measure it, it's going to be hard to actually try and improve it. That's actually a, from an engineer friend that I have. They always say that if we got to, you know, engineers like to measure things, and they always say, "How can you manage something you can't measure?" And they're right. You can't manage manage something if you if you don't measure. I if I don't know that my corn enterprise, for example, is holding back my profitability, that's a problem. Uh, you know, because that, that means you're not making changes to that corn enterprise to try to improve profitability and 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 I'm not just picking on corn it could be any enterprise on the farm you just need to measure that and the same with resources uh, you need to look at your labor situation do I have not enough labor do I have too much labor how do I know that well you use some financial metrics uh, to try to try to measure uh, your labor productivity and labor efficiency so let's talk about size and growth that's the fourth component here 
And this goes back to my re, my re, uh, re, replacement margin. Uh, we want to know whether we have enough money to to pay the operators, to to, to pay term debt, uh, and then we also want to know can I replace assets in a timely fashion? One of the things that I've found looking, you know, when I worked at Kansas State and worked with the Farm Management Association, and also looking in the FinBin data and the and the Farm Business Farm Management data in Illinois, is there's quite a few farms that really don't. Once you start paying for the for the operator, you know you t- the, the owner withdrawals, living expenses, and the term debt, there's not enough cash flow back there to timely replace uh, re- machinery that's wearing out. And so that's a very important question: Do I have enough cash flow uh, to replace machinery? And we'd like to go further than that: Do I have enough retained earnings cash flow so that I can expand? Uh, and so it's kind of in steps. Uh, do I have enough money to cover operator labor and and term debt? Then if they if the answer is yes, and hopefully it is, do I have enough money to replace assets? And then finally, do I have enough money to expand? That's that. And, until you know that kind of information, it's hard to decide whether to bring somebody back to the farm, uh, because we really don't know if we can afford to bring that somebody back. And so, and so when you talk about is a business large enough, that's how I think about it. Is I think about what does your cash flow situation look like? Uh, you know, is there enough cash flow there uh, to, to to not only uh, pay for this person? Pay this person a, a wage, or or, or uh, have them split the profitability uh, in some fashion. Is there enough money that we can rent additional acres? We can buy farmland. We can buy machinery that we're going to need to do uh, to make sure we have a long-run viable operation. Uh, and, and so this all kind of uh, works together. And so again, without these financial metrics, it's very difficult to figure out whether we can really bring somebody back. And. That kind of takes us to the issue of, you know, one of the challenges for a farming operation, it's pretty clear over the decades, is you have to grow. And when you compute the financial metrics we're talking about here, that leads you down the path where you can start thinking about how rapidly does this farm need to grow to make it sustainable uh, and particularly, you think about passing it on, for example, to the next generation. Yeah, we all we, we, we know that we need to grow. It's just a, it's just the real question is how fast? How fast do I need to grow to make sure that that the people that want to join the operation, we want to join the operation, are able to join the the operation? But at the same time, we know growth uh, can be kind of chunky. Uh, it comes in chunks, and you got to be a little careful. You don't grow too fast. That's why you also need to to consider your liquidity and leverage position or debt to asset. Position. Position, uh, and make sure you're not growing too fast, you're not draining your liquidity, and you're not increasing that debt-to-asset ratio into an uncomfortable range. And so, uh, and so again, that, it gets fairly complicated when you stop to think about that. So one of the things that we also like to talk about is creating shareholder value. In other words, creating value for the folks that actually own the business. And economists like to talk about something called economic profit, and I realize that's not a term that a lot of farm operations are comfortable with, but really economic profit in its most broadest sense is the assets employed in the, in the firm being earning a high enough return to keep them in their current use, right? And so the question to do that is, well, how do I actually compute economic profit on a farm? 
Yeah, I was talking about the importance of cash records and balance sheet. Here we have to go a little further uh, than, than those records to do this. We have the cash costs. Obviously, it's very important that they're included in this calculation of economic profit. But we also have to cover what we call opportunity costs. And opportunity cost is is what would that what we what could we get for that asset uh, if we rented the asset out? And so that would be true with machinery. We have we have a million dollars invested in machinery. If I didn't have a million dollars invested in that machinery. What could I? Get, what kind of earnings could I get for that million dollars? The same with farmland. If I have five million dollars invested in farmland, uh, what kind of earnings could I get for that five million dollars if I didn't own the farmland? So that's the kind of opportunity cost uh, we're thinking about here. Making sure that the 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 uh, machinery, buildings, and grain bins that we own are are, are receiving a rent, if you will, uh, and then also the farmland that we own is re is receiving a rent, uh, and and seeing if these if the cash costs and these opportunity costs. Are, are being covered. And from again, from a long-run standpoint, not only do you have to cover these, um, essentially enough of a return to those assets to generate an economic profit, but if you don't do that, you're really not going to have an opportunity to expand. No, uh, and 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 just to to, to reemphasize the importance of benchmarks uh, in the research that I've done over the years, there's a 25% a, a of the farms are earning an economic profit long term. You know, when we we when you think about microeconomics from a textbook standpoint, we're taught that economic profit is fleeting, meaning that it does it's not sustainable. That's true if all farms looked identical. All farms don't look identical. We've got 25% of the people out there, at least, that's kind of a minimum figure, that are, that are such good managers that they're making decisions that's ensuring that they have a long-run economic profit. And that's truly amazing uh, that we do see, uh, you know, we do see the farms that are that, that, are that good uh, in, in terms of earning a profit. The other thing that we need to think about when we took a, take, think about shareholder value is, is in addition to looking at net farm income profit, profit margin, the asset turnover ratio, one of the things you can do with a good balance sheet is you can see how much did my net worth increase uh, in, the, in this year and, and, why, and, and really understand why did it increase. And, and that's difficult for farming compared to some other businesses because we have so much money invested in farmland that's an appreciating asset. And so we want to know, is my net worth increasing because my land values are increasing? That's they're typically increasing. They do come down once in a while, but it, it, uh, usually they increase. Uh, or uh, retained earnings. And, and it's a very important question to ask uh, is, is hopefully it's both, that we're getting some land value appreciation in, in an average year, and we're also seeing positive retained earnings that's also increasing our, our net worth. And so when you mentioned that you're looking at some of the farm record-keeping systems, 25% or, or maybe a little more, of the operations are generating a, a positive economic profit. Those are the farms that are expanding. Definitely. And I think sometimes people ask that question to themselves, well, how can somebody do that? Well, for whatever reason, whether it's cost control, uh, margin control, those are farms that are generating economic profit and they're able to expand as a result, right? Yes. So let's kind of wrap this whole discussion up michael talking a little bit about what the farm's long-run business strategy is and really that's boils down to trying to figure out what your farm's competitive advantage might be and whether or not you have one to start with right 
typically this is this is a lower cost per unit uh, it's not just lower cost but it's lower cost per unit and so rather than having right now we're, we're crunching 23 corn budgets for example uh, and we talk about those in our webinars uh, rather than having 550 corn uh, break-even price maybe I have a five dollar break-even uh, corn price that's that's what I say the proofs in the pudding uh, if you have lower cost per unit for your different enterprises that truly is a competitive advantage and so uh, and, and so that, that's been our typical strategy. Uh, uh, usually we, we, we get lower cost per unit by expanding, but there is some you know, medium-sized operations that also have lower cost uh, for whatever reason. They're just because of their manual, you know, doing a good job of management, uh, they have lower cost. What's really changed uh, uh, in my career, and that spans back a ways, I know, 30 plus years, but what's really changed in, in my career is the importance of delivering greater value to customers. And I think you've seen this too, Jim. The the relative importance of, of of trying to trying to produce products that get get a slightly higher price. And and we in Indiana we have a lot of examples like that: white corn, waxy corn, popcorn, and uh, seed soybeans, the seed corn in North Central uh, Indiana. And so there's a lot of different products that we can think about producing that give us a, a slightly higher price, uh, giving us that giving us that competitive advantage, that above net, uh, average profitability. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at the farms that you and I have had an opportunity to interact with closely in, over the last decade or so, many of them, in fact, the vast majority of them, on at least a portion of their operation are doing something other than producing just basic commodities, right? So they're putting in some extra effort, um, some extra managerial expertise, for example, and using that as a way to generate a return that's higher than what they could earn on a, on a straight commodity product. And so one of your challenges is to think about whether or not you have an opportunity like that. And you're, if you're not doing that currently, your first blush, you might say, well, no. Well, then you need to step back and think about, might there be an opportunity? And you mentioned several things. Uh, it, it might even be an, an auxiliary enterprise. You know, yes. One of the things we've, we've seen a number of farms do is, is engage, for example, in, in drainage. Yeah. Um, so lots of things to think about there. Uh, you, know, you mentioned seed corn. Uh, waxy corn, uh, white corn, et cetera. There's lots of opportunities beyond that as well. And so the question is, does it fit your operation? It's probably going to mean a change. It's probably going to mean more effort, more managerial expertise. And so the question is, do you have that ability? And if you can, use it to extract some, re some positive return. And stepping back here a little bit, a lot of times it means looking at the major decisions we make on the farm and make sure that we're, you know, if, if we don't have the expertise to make a good decision, that we get some help uh, to make that decision. And the examples are crop insurance. Do I have, do I have a crop insurance agent that, that clearly explains the different products available to me and I do the best? I get the most bang for the buck. I, I, I protect risk without spending a fortune uh, doing so. The, you're in your area, marketing. Uh, you know, if, if I don't have the expertise, is there is there some way I can uh, I can leverage uh, you know, some help, uh, you know, from from a professional uh, to help us with that marketing? So think about some of these major decisions that you make: asset purchases, crop insurance, uh, marketing. Uh, do we have the expertise to to really excel in those, or do we need to bring in some help uh, to help? us excel in those and so you don't want to let any of those slip well michael i think we'll wrap it up there for today and i just want to encourage our listeners to check out the financial management series which is available on the purdue center for commercial agriculture's website which is purdue.edu commercial ag 
If you go to the top menu bar and click on series, you'll discover there's several different series to choose from, and one of them is the financial management series, and you'll discover we've got a series of publications that you can use to improve your financial management skills. And so that wraps up our series today. So on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and my colleague, Dr. Michael Langemeyer, I'm Jim Mintert. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.